Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast focusing on issues that impact the future of the real estate industry. I'm your host, Gavin Morgan, and in addition to looking forward to today's and future conversations, if you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please look on www.propnex.com. That's www.propnx.com. Or if you'd like to chat privately, drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com on email. I'm delighted to welcome Corey Hamabata to the show. Corey is the Managing Director of Rockville Capital and Trek Hospitality Investment. I'm particularly pleased to have uh, Corey on the show today. Uh, we were colleagues for a long time. Thanks for having me, Gavin. Really looking forward to the discussion. And Corey, what I'd like to kick off with today is uh, m- maybe just for the for the benefit of the listeners, could you just m- perhaps give us a little snapshot of your career to date? Uh, I mean, I mentioned an illustrious career in the hotel space, which I know you've had, but maybe you might like to elaborate on that a little bit, please. Sure, Gavin. Well, uh, as you said, I've I've come up in, in the hospitality and real estate space and probably tell by my voice, I'm uh, from the U.S. originally. Uh, coming out of college uh, at Cornell University, I went to move to Chicago and worked for a hotel real estate and investment uh, company based in Chicago doing hotel investment and development across the U.S. Uh, and then after some time there, I moved to JLL in Los Angeles. Uh, that was about 10 and a half years ago. Uh, worked in Los Angeles for a little while, then relocated to Singapore, uh, and then from Singapore ultimately to Hong Kong, uh, where I was for uh, about four years, four and a half years. Uh, at the end of the year last year, you know, I, I finished up at JLL and uh, have joined Rockpool Capital, and together we're going to be launching a uh, Trek Hospitality Investment, which is really focused on um, capitalizing on uh, what we expect will happen coming out of the COVID pandemic, uh, and specifically investing into hospitality assets with uh, a value-add component. Corey, thank you for that. And I'm super interested in getting into investing out of the COVID pandemic. I mean, that is such a hot topic at the moment, and particularly in your space, which, as I mentioned to you before, I find interesting. But before we delve into that, Corey, I'd love to ask you about hotels as an investment. And I mean, most of you know, most of the listeners will know that you got three star, four star, five six, etc. From an investment perspective, and um, turning a profit, what's the difference between the different grades? And um, you know, where, where, in your view, is the best place to get a return in the sector? Operating hotels, of course. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess. Putting operating hotels into context, uh, amongst other commercial real estate asset classes, I think you know the, the main glaring difference is that hotels are a trading business. Uh, they're they're open twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, uh, and operations are ongoing. So the owner of a hotel uh, is assuming that the operational risk or um, uh, the operational structure of the hotel, and because of that, their cash flows may move up and down um, based on. Uh, market movements. Now, when you look at hotels specifically uh, within within the asset class, um, I think what I love about 
the hotel sector is that it is really relatable. You've stayed in hotels. Everyone, many people have stayed in hotels or interacted in hotels when one way or another. Um, you know, there's many different spectrums uh, in the hotel industry of operations. Um, you know, the the traditional rating system of stars is is probably something that's really common amongst uh, many people that that we know, but. You know, one of the innovations in the hospitality uh, industry in recent times has been in the boutique space where, you know, the star system, people, customers have found the star system to be somewhat rigid. Uh, and so, you know, you might have a boutique hotel that operates, uh, competes with the luxury properties, but maybe it doesn't have 24-hour room service or, you know, some of the, the big fancy amenities that you might expect in a traditional luxury hotel. Uh, but, you know, at, at its base, uh, when you look at hotels, on one end you have that the three-star and budget segment, uh, and you know that business is typically your highest profit margin business because it's purely guest room sales. There's very little food and beverage, very little ancillary revenue, uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum you have you know more substantial operations like your big resorts or your big large group hotels that you know in addition to you know 300, 400, 500 guest rooms. Uh, you know, they probably have three restaurants and a meeting space business and maybe they have a spa. And so, you know, those are, um, you know, much more operationally intensive and typically operate at a lower profit margin. That being said, it's also uh, there's more levers to turn in those operations when you're looking at places to create value within an operation. So th- there is a little bit of a give and take uh, between the two. Yeah. Corey, thanks for that. And I just wanted to go a layer deeper on that. And again, something that I've always been curious about. So let's take a three-star hotel and say a six-star hotel. Is there a, is there a target? Is there a difference in target occupancy rate where you get to profitability in one compared to the other, uh, let's say on the rooms? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the operating models for, for businesses, are catered to the businesses themselves. And so, um, you know, for example, if you were to take, say, a, you know, uh, a three-star hotel in a city center versus one, uh, a luxury hotel in a resort market, the operating models might be different. Think about, for example, like the ski markets, um, you know, the, the way that luxury hotels will flex their labor in the on and off seasons change quite a bit. Uh, so the, you know, the, the margins, um, you know, the break-even margins generally will be different, but I mean, Hong Kong's a great example, right? When you look at the large hotels in Hong Kong today, although they have so many more rooms to sell, they also have a lot of restaurant business that's actually keeping a lot of them, uh, helping a lot of them drive revenue. And when you think about your standard three-star hotels, they don't really have that kind of differentiator. So um, although, you know, the break-even profit you know, on a like-for-like basis might be lower for luxury hotels, they can also attract different types of demand as well. But okay, so I, I get that right. So probably on, in normal times uh, or in times unaffected by COVID, et cetera, um, sort of, so the room occupancy rate for a three-star is probably lower to, to hit profitability. But right, I hear what you're saying. I mean, with all of the other, the, the dynamic that you get in a five or a six-star six star hotel, you so many other ways of turning a profit and driving revenue and attracting an audience and um, absolutely makes sense. So, Corey, one thing that I wanted to pivot to a little bit closer to what you're doing now and focused on in the future, um, and I think you probably gave me the best question that I'm going to ask uh, in your introduction. 
COVID and pivoting away from COVID and the opportunities in the hotel sector for conversions, I mean, that has definitely slipped onto the radar at a much higher level in the last probably three to six months uh, than I've seen for a while. So what opportunity do you see there and how do you think you're going to be able to take advantage of that over the coming year or so? Yeah. Well, I think the the hotel space offers a number of different opportunities. Um, you know, and and those opportunities will play out differently in different markets. I mean, the first and most glaring opportunity is the recovery of of domestic and international tourism across the Asia Pacific region. Um, you know, when you look at the U.S. market, for example, last year the U.S. kind of hotel revenue, the, the industry metric we use is is called RevPAR, uh, that recovered to about fifteen, only fifteen percent below twenty nineteen levels, uh, and so you've got you know, already demand coming back and it's recovered in a different way. And so that that's one of the immediate areas that we're looking at in the hospitality space is, you know, riding that recovery, but also thinking about what that recovery means. Uh, and so when you look at markets uh, that have recovered, you know, there's much more of a leisure drive. Uh, there's a lo- generally longer stay, you know, to the extent you can appeal to domestic demand. These are all segments uh, that have fared better in the near term on the recovery. And so one angle is to really orient an asset towards that so that it's quicker on the rebound. On the conversion side, uh, that the most notable, most uh, common, I think, conversion that we're seeing in Hong Kong is from a hotel into <clears throat> service apartment, co-living, you know, some sort of residential asset, um, you know, beds or living, if you will. Uh, and I think what's interesting about Hong Kong specifically and why you're seeing it happen more in Hong Kong than in other places is that, as you know, you know, the living space requirements in Hong Kong or expectations in Hong Kong are just much, much smaller than they are in pretty much anywhere around the world. And so when you think about taking a hotel into, uh, into a living asset, uh, it's, it's much more feasible to do in Hong Kong than in some of the other markets where the expectations are that people want or need or expecting more space. Yeah, thank you, Corey. And I want, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I just wanted to reach back to something you said earlier and ask for a view on it. Um, so from an industry perspective, uh, do you think business travel is the, is the industry, the hotel industry, is it seeing um, a full recovery to the, the types of demand that existed sort of pre-2019 for the business traveler? Or is it looking ahead to a world where there is a bit more of a bifurcation between business and leisure um, and a need to sort of structure offerings uh, differently to accommodate that? Well, I, th- I think you've set me up perfectly for this one. Uh, one of my, my favorite industry terms coming out of the, the pandemic uh, is pleasure, uh, which is the combination of, of business and leisure. Uh, and, you know, this is a, a huge uh thing that everyone's trying to catch on to, which is, you know, if people are going to travel for business in the near future, they're going to travel for longer and they're going to have a propensity to, you know, bring their family along with them or kind of combine those trips uh, with uh, both business and leisure. I think generally speaking, uh, the hospitality industry, myself included, is, is expecting a full recovery. And, you know, we've, we've come back from a lot of different disruptions and, and all this kind of stuff before and you know you you can never predict how it's going to recover um but you know it it always ends up doing that and i think you know uh if myself and most of the people that i know in around the region are are any proxy uh they're they're itching to travel once they 
feel safe and once they have the ability to do it without uh, so much restrictions. And so I'm pretty bullish on uh, the recovery of travel uh, as as restrictions around the world start to ease, uh, which, you know, when you take it at a global perspective, they certainly are. And in turn, obviously, um, uh, a return to the sorts of demand that we've seen previously. Uh, thank you, Corey. But particularly, thank you for what could be one of my favorite new words uh, for the next two or three weeks. You will be hearing pleasure again, certainly when this podcast is posted, I can promise you. Um, a fantastic term, and I haven't heard that one before. Um, the returns, um, returning to... Uh, what you're doing at the moment, the conversion side of things uh, and the returns. I mean, what sort of returns are achievable? Uh, and I'm happy, uh, Corey, if you had to single out markets that you're particularly focused on, but sort of picking up a hotel and, you know, or, and, and moving toward a residential conversion. I mean, certainly a market that you and I are very familiar with, Hong Kong, China. And it seems that there, it certainly seems that there's a tremendous future in multifamily and this very much, what you're talking about, very much lends toward that and, and leans into it if it takes off like many of us are expecting. So at this stage, those types of conversions, do you think you'll get considerably better than market returns or are you just looking, this, looking at this as a space where you think good quality returns are available? And if you don't mind commenting on specifically what types of returns? Yeah. So... I mean, when, when I look at deal making environment and when I look at the returns that we're looking to achieve, you know, we're, we're looking to play in the space of institutional investors, given that there is a value add component to it and some obscurity around, you know, what a hotel will ultimately do um, as, as a kind of a more residential style asset. You know, we're looking to target it to high teens levered returns, um, IRRs for, for these deals. And when you look at the deals in particular for hotel conversions that have been done in Hong Kong, the, the buyer lists uh, are typically real estate funds, uh, institutional real estate funds, and they often require or underwrite a similar level of returns at mid to high teens level um, as a threshold uh, on the deals that they're, that they're um, looking to achieve. And so uh, ultimately, you know, working backwards, they're expecting to achieve those, those types of returns we're expecting to achieve those types of returns. And when, when we're looking at projects, um, you know, they need to have those types of underwritten returns or meet that type of hurdle uh, for us to, to be interested to go in. Yeah, thanks. And I mean, Corey, that certainly sounds attractive, you know, relative to what I generally hear, um, and you know, particularly uh, with the bigger institutional groups and what the targets are. So that's terrific. Um, and availability of opportunities. I mean, again, if you look at the Asia Pacific region, particularly, you know, some of the markets are, you know, they're not particularly liquid. Um, and is this something that uh, are you expecting traction to come out of little bits and pieces of distress in um, or pockets of distress in, in locations? Or do you think there are going to be some of the bigger groups, whether it's in hotel, whether hotels groups or institutions uh, strategically disposing of portfolios that will give you scale and traction at the same time? So basically, where do you see, yeah. the, pro where do you see the product coming from, I suppose, is a shorter way of asking the question. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a really, really interesting time. I think, um, you know, I, I quickly realized this as I was building... Uh, starting to build my pipeline, uh, getting up to speed in, in the new firm. 
you know, we're in an environment, especially in the hotel space where everything is for sale. Uh, and so, you know, if you're reaching out to owners and to brokers and, and all of these people in the market, uh, you can get a laundry list of assets that are available for sale. The, the challenge is sorting through that and figuring out what actually makes sense and what you can actually uh, generate the returns that you need to generate on. Uh, and so, you know, that's been a really, truly a challenge in today's market. Um, a lot of people saw what was happening as the pandemic was coming in and as it extended on. And they were expecting, uh, myself included, expecting a situation like we had uh, in post-GFC in 2009, 2010, where uh, there was a, a very little liquidity, a lot of deals available on the market. And, you know, uh, the could have pretty much bought anything and done very well at that time because prices had adjusted downward so substantially. It's, you know, we're now two years into this pandemic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, clear that you're not going to see that same type of adjustment in prices. And so, you know, given that, uh, especially in the hotel industry, uh, what you have is an asset that is priced similarly to what it was pre-COVID, uh, but in an operating environment that is more uncertain than it was pre-COVID. Uh, and so you need to be effectively compensated for that risk. Uh, I think that what's going to happen is that either the price is going to move down slowly to compensate you for that risk, or uh, over time, that risk is slowly going to dissipate as we move out of COVID. The reality is that it's going to likely be both factors moving uh, towards each other. So the, uh, we, we expect that there will be uh, continued adjustments in, in prices in short. Um, it's not likely that you're going to see um, you know, a ton of distressed selling. Uh, but in the hotel space in particular, uh, you've seen commercial real estate assets trading at, at levels above pre-pandemic levels in terms of transaction volumes. Uh, but the hotel space is still quite a ways behind where it was before the pandemic. And so you have the factor, the additional factor of pent-up sales demand that we're expecting to see coming out of the pandemic. And that means more assets available for sale relatively the same amount of buyers. And so we're, we're hoping that it, it shifts uh, the power to a buyer's market a little bit more uh, and gives us a bit more leverage in terms of negotiations with sellers. Yeah, no, it would certainly be great to see more deal flow. And, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, well, one of the amazing things that we're working in the Asia region is, you know, getting to understand the power um, that exists amongst real estate owners. I mean, because of the, significantly reduced reliance on debt and of course the pressures that that brings so it does yeah it requires a patient watchful approach to be able to pick up the right stuff but um it certainly sounds that you've got the the strategy for that so Corey, um in a final pivot uh, before we we close things off what's your favorite hotel uh there's so many um but well, I'll, I'll allow you to if you want that. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the ones that really sticks in my mind is a resort called Calistoga Ranch uh, in Napa Valley. Um, unfortunately, today it no longer exists at the moment because uh, it was burnt down. Uh, but uh, I was doing some work on the resort earlier on in my career. Um, really, really an amazing, exclusive resort. Uh, beautiful guest rooms. Um, and and very exclusive. You can only get in if you're staying at the resort. Uh, but what I learned when I was working uh, in more depth uh, with the property was actually it's not a resort. 
uh, it's a campground and every one of those hotel units is an RV. Um, and when, when you look at transferring the title, you're not just actually selling the real estate, but you're actually transferring uh, DMV vehicle registrations. And so what they've done is they've replaced kind of RVs together and built um, wood decking across them. And the design, the execution of the design was so amazing and it's such a great experience. So that, that has to be my, my top. And that's a that's an absolute corker, Corey, because that is, I am sure, somewhere that not many people that will be tuning in have been to. And I'll certainly I'll, I'll be off digging that one out of the internet to have a look at it. Thank you. Um, but Corey, it's been absolutely fantastic a seeing you again and and having you on the show. And I'd like to thank you very much uh, for making the time to come on Propnex. And when you get back to the region, maybe we can line something else up and have a further conversation with you. Uh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Gavin. Thank you. So that's a wrap for today's podcast. And it just leaves it for me to thank you very much for tuning in and listening to our conversation. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you'd like any information uh, or you want to have a chat, uh, drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnext.com G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnext.com or there's more information as I said earlier too on www.propnext.com that's www.propnext.com I look forward to speaking with you in future podcasts and thank you again